As the United States attempts to shut the doors on the crypto industry, China is opening up with news today that HSBC will be offering Bitcoin and Ethereum ETFs to their customers. This after HSBC was taking a very anti-crypto, very anti-crypto stance just a few months ago. Is Hong Kong and China, everything happening there just a reaction to this shutdown in the United States, this crackdown? I believe it is, but we'll be discussing that and a lot more with today's guests, of course. Dave and Mike, we're always here, but we're really honored to have our buddy James Lavish here with us today. Can't wait to have this conversation. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of Wall Street. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. This is basically exactly the kind of comment we need to wake up to a Monday to. Looking forward to watching my grumpy mates. It seems that, uh, guys, we have some fans here who know exactly what to expect on a Monday. Well, why? I'm going to bring on my grumpy mates right now. I've got Dave, Mike, James, I don't know if you count as one of the grumpy mates yet, but I guess uh, remains to be seen. Today I do, definitely. <laughs> well, it's like 6 a.m. where you are, so I, I would imagine that at least you got to have a little bit of uh, grumpiness, assuming that you are uh, on the West Coast still today. I am. I am on the West Coast. It is early, but it's well, great to see you guys. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, you too, man. So speaking of grumpy, um, we were talking about just before the stream came on that Operation, Ch- uh, Operation Choke Point 2.0 is real uh, and that you have experienced it. For context, guys, Operation Choke Point 2.0 is the idea we've had basically for the last few months really starting with Caitlin Long and Custodia Bank's rejection for a Fed master account in January, that the regulators and legislators in the United States are cracking down on the crypto industry by basically cutting off the rails to the banking system. It's been sort of speculation. Is it real? Is it not? James, you have some uh, anecdotal personal experience with this, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've heard I've heard debates about that. And, and some people say it's not real. And I can tell you without a doubt, it is absolutely or was real uh, for a while there. Uh, so for context, uh, I, I launched a hedge fund this past spring and, uh, and with a number of partners that, you know, um, and we, you know, when you launch a hedge fund, just for, just for your, uh, your listeners understanding, we, you have a prime broker, that's your bank that custodies your assets that you act, that hold your, your investments that are, that are public holdings, whether bonds or stocks or whatever. And but when you when you launch your hedge fund, you have to have get you get the assets into that entity that the prime broker owns. And typically you have this separate bank that collects the assets and then hands them off. And the problem was we we didn't have a problem getting a prime broker, but we got turned down by a number number of banks, number one, just to collect the assets. And these were big banks that have been doing this for a very long time. And they said they saw crypt, they saw Bitcoin in our, because our, our hedge fund is called the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund. They saw Bitcoin in the LP, uh, you know, title and the name of the company. And so they just refused. And so that was the first thing. But then we, we, we worked it around it. We got a, we got a good respectable bank that's been doing this for a very long time that a lot of hedge funds use. But then as we were collecting assets for customers, their wires were getting canceled. They were not getting released. They were being held up. And then they were asking for all of this information. I've never seen banks like just just the the banks were sending the wires, you know, Wells Fargo or J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, Citigroup. 
they were not releasing wires. They were refusing, especially international banks. They were not releasing the wires and they refused to do it because it was going to something called the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund. And so it was for their customer safety, even though it was their money, they're deciding where it goes. They're wiring the amounts. They're giving all of the instructions. The banks just said, no, you can't, you can't have your money if it's going to go there. You can keep it here, but you can't have it if it's going to go there. And so that was, uh, it was interesting. I mean, we worked through all of it. We got all the wires released and we got everything, you know, tied up, but it was absolutely choke point and it took a months to get through basically, you know, wires just got lost. They got canceled. They got held up. It was nuts. So it's almost like Bitcoin fixes this, <laughs> right? So, and that's a great, that's a good comment because because we're a Bitcoin opportunity fund, we had a lot of customers who say, hey, can I just wire you? Can I just send you Bitcoin instead? And you custody my, you know, investment in Bitcoin. And that was the obvious answer and the obvious response. Uh, unfortunately, because of the way we're structured, we couldn't really do that. But that was, uh, you know, <laughs> that was the obvious answer. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, Dave, have you experienced any of that with coin routes? I've never even asked. I mean, we're a software company, but yes. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't touch client assets. We don't engage in any way in the flow of funds. So as a result, honestly, we shouldn't, but because coin routes has coin in the name, uh, we have, because, you know, look, we, we use, because our we want to bank where our customers bank. So we bank at, uh, we have a major bank that we've had forever and they've been fine and they haven't had a problem because they actually know our business. And so they know we're a software company, so they don't care. Well, I don't want to name banks, but whatever. It's one of the big ones. Uh, and we had Signature. And then Signature obviously got closed. And so we started applying for new ones. And we would get denied, 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 okay, denied, 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 okay, denied, 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 okay. So now we have five different banks. Uh, and we did that just because I never wanted to go through that again. Because God forbid you wake up one day and you have one bank and all of a sudden you can't get customers, customers can't pay their bills. I mean, that's literally what we use it for is to pay our vendors and pay bills or an operating business. But I will tell you the most interesting one was when we were toying with the idea of uh, opening a retail platform, when which which we'll probably do eventually someday. It'll be more an active trader platform like, you know, a think or swim sort of thing, because really our, our platform is designed for people who trade a lot. Uh, we asked uh, Stripe, and Stripe said no. And that, to me, being one of the original fintech unicorns, the fact that they said no spoke volumes to me. Uh, it's actually disgusting. Uh, the reason they did it is because they're prepping for an IPO and they didn't want any headaches. But you know, we basically said, "Listen, you know, this is for software services," and they're like, "Yeah, but it's for software services related to crypto, so no, thank you." And it turns out that there are a lot of people out there who are being pushed. And so when you're going through a regulated process like IPO, regulators have their hooks into you in a, lot, a great deal of ways. At the end of the day, it all speaks to overreach of the administrative state. In my mind, an unconstitutional overreach, uh, which is happening in all facets of society, which is why you and I are both so supportive of people like Congressman Davidson, who you've had uh, you know, you've, you've interviewed and talked to, and we've had them on the town hall, the crypto town hall, uh, you know, their efforts to bring down, to bring balance and depoliticize agencies. But frankly, it's not just the SEC. It should literally be every agency in the United States government needs to be depoliticized because it get, it's gotten to a pretty bad point. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone disagrees with that. But now we get to talk about Bitcoin price action, right? Basically, this week, uh, price, uh, we well, started the week about 26.2. I can't believe this all happened in a week. Uh, it topped at about 31,500, trading now about 30,300, but basically erased the last 10 weeks of correction and made a new yearly high for this year and for the last 12 months. So it looks like the real deal. Mike, does this, I mean, it's a week. I know you're a zoom out forest trees. I, I know where we're going here, but does this change anything for you at all? Um, I'm very fearful of the, if it goes up, it's going to go up technical mantra. And um, what the James and Dave spelled out is a very serious attack from some, I think, U.S. authorities. But then we have this issue of, oh, well, maybe we'll get this ETF. That's why I'm kind of concerned if the SEC, now we have this issue, well, maybe in the next three months they'll approve a Bitcoin ETF. That's Is that why we're all bullish? And I think that's what I have to sit there and think, okay, that's an if statement. We have No one has any clue when it might happen. Um, we all know at some point there's going to be ETFs in this in this country. You can track a broad index of, of cryptos, um, physical cryptos. That's just a matter of time. And then, of course, people who want to volunteer in history to go back down in history as Aaron Burrs of history, fine. We've seen some of those people. That's fine because this technology is overwhelming. I could fully get that. But to me, the macro is just, if you saw what Sharon, we all saw what he said last week. We saw what he did, the Bank of England, the, the Bank of Canada. I mean, this is a classic historical case of rug bull and liquidity. Now, I have to admit this weekend, I went back and read about 100 years more of history of the crashes and almost every single time. It just reiterates my views. First of all, you pump things too much and then you dump things too much. And then, so we have to be hoping, let's see, for to be bullish Bitcoin here, obviously we have to hope for that ETF soon. Okay, maybe we'll get that. We have to hope for the stock market, bull market to continue. Maybe we'll get that, but you know, we fully, I fully expect a recession. So that's just my, not my view. Look at commodities are collapsing. Look at the inverted yield curve. It's doing it more today. You've seen the 10-year note yield ticking down this morning. And it's just the bottom line of liquidity. The Fed is still pulling that, still raising rates, pulling that liquidity. So the macro is very poor. And I don't like to be bullish on hope. You like to be bullish on facts. So I think what's going to happen, my base case is we're going to tilt back into this normal bear market for a typical recession where stock market goes down. I'm sorry to say that's just the way it's usually happened in history. People just forget what happened in the last 10 years. They were been able to buy every dip when the Fed was zero. That's what Chairman Powell said last week. He said, we're not going to be there. We're raising rates, yet we know there's a lot of signs of, of slowing down. And there's no sign of that, of cutting rate. It's not just the Fed. It's virtually every central bank with the exception of one key one, China. China's a country that backed Russia. Well, the unlimited friendship, we all know that's failing. So I see this as, this is, I'll end with this. To me, these are all the iterations of part of what I see as a significant economic reset. By the end of this year, it's going to come clear. And if Bitcoin can get out of this and beat an equity market on the way up, that would be great. If it can beat an equity market on the way down, that would be even better. I think that's where we're going in the long term. But right now, I see it as gold and long bonds are the most likely to do well. Now, just look at um, crude oil. It's back down again this morning, even after this issue with Russia over the weekend. Yeah, it seemed like we had a little liquidity pump there when the bank banking system was wobbling, right? But James, I mean, you, you follow probably this more closely than anyone are we still now seeing that liquidity sucked back out? Are they still lending to banks and bailing them out? Or was that sort of, did it end up being the nothing burger we didn't expect it to be? 
Yeah, no, I mean, uh, <clears throat> the Treasury's done a good job of issuing hundreds of billions of dollars worth of, of short-term T-bills in the last uh, few weeks. They had to refill the TGA. We all know this. The debt ceiling was cleared, uh, and the, the Treasury had spent all its money. And so they literally had no money in their checking account. They had to, they had to, they have to refill it back up by, to the tune of just the TGA. They have to refill it by half a trillion dollars. And so where do they get that money from? Well, they've got to float treasuries and they're, they're floating them and they're doing, uh, they're doing an exceptional job of draining the, uh, reverse repo, um, facility by taking hundreds of billions of dollars out of there. But that, remember these T bills are very short term, right? They're, they're, they're a few days to a couple of months or a few months old, uh, maturity. And so they have to redo it again. So this is going to be this perpetual thing where we're just continually going in to tap the market, tap the market, tap the market. And, uh, and they are, they're drawing liquidity out. You, the, the only other place this is coming from re the really large access of capital is the bank reserves and that's pulling liquidity out. So on one hand, you can argue today that just on this one facility, like just this one part of the market, they're they're taking money that's sitting idle on the on the sidelines from the reverse repo market, right? It's just sitting there collecting interest for the banks. On the other hand, they they are having to take some liquidity out of the reserves, which is definitely tightening. And then there, you know, the Fed has been saying all along, look, we need to uh, we we need to pull our balance sheet down from all of the QE that we've done from 2020 to, and that's to uh, the tune of $95 billion a month. So they're saying that they're, they're, uh, they're tightening, but then just like Mike said, on the flip side, they're only going to be able to do this for so long because we are going to, we're, we're headed straight into a recession. They know it. They, they, you know, the fed talks around this and talks around it and talks about how, Unemployment is is historically low. It you know we're still not seeing a rise in unemployment, and so the economy's fine. And they're going to continue to gaslight the American public until we hit the recession. Unemployment spikes, and uh, and then just like Mike said, all markets sell off and they correlate to one. So, yeah, my, uh, go ahead, Dave. Well, I mean, in any crash correlations go to one. We know that. I mean, you know, to argue other than that would be to ignore the 30 some odd years plus that I've been dealing with this crap. So, I mean, and James and Mike and I all know this, but I have two words and I think that uh, we've now reached escape velocity where, where it's going to be there. And the two words are home state mining. Uh, and when you look through the thirties, you know it, which is why Mike mentioned the boomer rock that he did, uh, as we're money. I think that in the 21st century, in this millennium, uh, it's going to be Bitcoin and not Boomer Rocks. I think Bitcoin's going to demonetize gold on the next roundup. And I think that this past week has been one of the most bullish weeks for that, for a, for, for a very important reason. Uh, I think the narrative war that's been going on it has been lost uh, by the anti-crypto army. They just haven't figured it out yet. They made a major strategic mistake and now their, their opponents are, are pouncing through it. So what the hell is this, this idiot talking about narrative wars and what does this matter? But remember something, Bitcoins is either going to be a curiosity in the future 
that, you know, niche people, you know, play with and whatever, you know, a bunch of geeks, or it becomes the store of value for the digital world. That store of value for the digital world at a minimum, I want to say minimum, is the monetary value of gold as opposed to its jewelry and industrial value. Now, I calculate that at north of 75%. It's actually way higher than that if you use platinum as a comparison because of the you know, what's going on. I mean, platinum for most of James Mike's in my life, your life too, Scott, was valued more than gold, was considered more, you know, more rare, better for jewelry. It was the platinum standard. You would go to a conference, you'd have the, you know, the silver, the gold, and the platinum. Gold passed platinum's price years ago now, despite platinum being 30 times more rare than gold. Now, why did it pass platinum's price? Because gold is used as a monetary instrument, and platinum isn't. Full stop. So when you look at gold's market cap, it's mostly monetary value. It is not jewelry and industrial value. Silver is dramatically better for jewelry and, and, and industrial uses for sure. I mean, yeah, gold plated, you, you get the occasional gold plated thing. Like you go to Dubai, amazing thing about Dubai frame. Uh, for anyone who wants to go see it, you see an entire building clad in gold. Okay, great. You see that, but it's still monetary value. To, and, a, and a side note on that, Dave, to prove your point is that that was the whole issue with the trillion dollar coin is that there's a there's that loophole that the mint could mint a platinum coin for any value because it's not really money. Right. So they could they could mint a platinum coin for a trillion dollars, but not a gold coin because the 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 legislation does not allow for that because right. denominated in certain uh, currencies. How nonsensical is that, by the way? <laughs> completely insane. But 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 let me go with the narrative. So what what is happening here? So the real question, when we look at Bitcoin, and you know, James is going to laugh at this. Obviously, he's a hedge fund trader. You can't have this kind of view. But I view everything that we're, we've been talking about for two years, Scott, as squiggles. When you zoom out in 10 years and you see a chart of Bitcoin, and you try to look at the difference between twenty-five and thirty thousand when it's trading at five hundred thousand, it's going to be irrelevant. You're literally not going to be able to turn there are squiggles on a chart that mean nothing, because that's where the war is being fought. The question is: Will Bitcoin reach what I call escape velocity? Will it get to the point where adoption triggers uh, a self-reinforcing feedback loop? And and I believe that will happen. I think we are way over fifty percent likely now uh, for, towards that, and the market is pricing it at less than five percent. Hence the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund being, you have is, is you know makes a lot of sense for people as a percentage of their portfolio. So why do I why am I focusing on the narrative? Well, that's because Bitcoin threatens many people who care about the big banks, and we know that, and we've seen it. Now, in the private conversations of the people who run the biggest banks, they are pro Bitcoin. They, they, they understand what I just said in terms of expected value, that metric of, you know, a, a 20 to one upside you know, with a, probably at a 50% probability, uh, and maybe a 50% or a, or a 60% downside with the other 50%. And you start looking at that asymmetric upside and people are like, this belongs in your in people's portfolio. And they have enough customers who are absolutely demanding it, that they have right. no choice but to offer. So, so think about the last uh, of, of what happened in your narrative. So uh, the first salvo was, well, there have been a lot of salvos, but the first major skirmish was the two congressional committees, agriculture and finance, who have been fighting over jurisdiction of the CFTC and SEC for as long as Bitcoin has been in the public eye, decided, screw this, we're going to work together to come up with a framework. And the first tenant of that framework was no regulation by enforcement. 
And so 168 pages later, and we could argue whether there's good stuff and bad stuff, and it clearly needs work. There's no doubt about that. But it was a good faith attempt by two committees that had been heavily criticized for not working together to come together and work. So what happens there? Well, I, I said it at the time, and I'm going to say it. I, I was right, and I'm sure she's mad that she hears it, and there have been multiple people who have now parroted this viewpoint, including Christian Carlo, that Warren picks up the phone and calls Gensler and says, we, what, what do you got going that can counter this? How close are you to filing? And, you know, and, and we basically said, well, we can get the Binance case out over the weekend. And they said, yeah, okay, do it, push it out there. And then, well, what else you got? Well, we, we're, we're working on the Coinbase case. Okay, well, let's push that out the next day. That was, I believe, a strategic tactical error on the narrative side because the Binance case has the lot yet you could argue it, whether it was rushed or not, there is, there is serious stuff there. Like, you know, you and I and everyone on this call knows that there are allegations that are serious and measured and understood. But the Coinbase case was the absolute insanity. I view that on the narrative war as the same thing as go as Napoleon going into Russia. Because they took on Coinbase for the crime of not being able to comply with rules that are literally impossible to comply with. Let that and, and in an environment where the court has already consistently pushed back against the SEC for that very thing. Exactly. And so scale and Voyager, so what has happened yeah. since? So last week, why was it so bullish? So we will talk about the BlackRock ETF being a big deal. And, and I got over this in both my last two weekly recaps this past weekend. I explained why it's not bad for Bitcoin. We could discuss that. But what's more important is the chairman of BlackRock, who was against Bitcoin years ago, is clearly been persuaded that he needs to move forward. And what did they do? They're saying Coinbase is our custodian and our trading method. For that's the be- that's the craziest part. The basic to the to, you know, <laughs> to the anti crypto army from the world's largest asset manager. And then who else do we see talking? Paul Tudor Jones comes back out, comes out of his bunker, and says, "You know, I said it was the fastest horse. Maybe it's not so fast, but it's the right horse." And he's saying it. And you're seeing this across the spectrum. Everyone's cut. fidelity saying we're going to want the ability for RIAs and wealth managers to get in trillions of dollars of potential demand. And all of these three are basically saying to the SEC, you've gone too far. Enough is enough is enough. And that's a very big deal in terms of adoption. And so they're the price, the price is the price. It's going to be correlated with risk and whatnot. But now the other thing that that's important here is, you know, people... You know, you know, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss have been interesting. I mean, they're, they're, they're about six months late or at least many months late in what they said. They came out over the weekend and said, we think the next accumulation cycle is, is upon us. Wrong. The accumulation stop cycle, according to the on-chain data, started six months ago. And I've been talking about it on this show consistently for six months that we see lots of speculative up and we don't see the buyers follow it. So it comes back down to it. But the buyers have been there and the accumulation of long-term holders on chain for, uh, it has been steadily increasing for six months. And that is so a big deal. Let, let's let's um, back over into the big picture. Last three years, Bitcoin has basically gone up with the stock market. First it went down and then went up, back down. And now the stock market is going up a lot more than Bitcoin's going up. Okay, maybe Bitcoin's going to catch up. So we have to point out the fact that is since 2017, the Bitcoin's first reach this current level versus the NASDAQ, it's still at that same level. So I completely agree with what you said, Dave, and what you're doing, James, in the big picture. 
this is going to revolutionize. It's going to be, it's the digital world. It's digital gold and digital, but show me the beef. I mean, I'm honestly, as a strategy, let me finish. Let, let me finish just because I mean, I gave you a lot of time there. We all did. Um, it's it's got to show that divergent strength when the market's going up. It's right now. It's like on the year. It's up dollar. I mean, see, uh, it's the volatility weighted up about as much as it should be versus Nasdaq. It basically takes two to three vol versus the Nasdaq. Okay, great. It's done what it's supposed to do. Yet the last few months has been underperforming for stupid reasons, right? Maybe we'll get that ETF. That's my point. Is you got to get the big picture trend is this going to be a little different than the last 12 years where every single time the stock market goes up this the fed's going to save you no it's going to be different we know that's going to be the case the feds told us we see it so we have to get through that period is this early days of it i think it is and i just need to see that indication that when the stock market goes down this is going to be more of a risk off asset and it just that's the point it hasn't happened and still on the year maybe it's catching up but just certainly the last Q2, because of these reasons, it's doing very, it's just trading poorly. And we need to see that. And I look at the macro as it's still the, the, the fastest horse in the race. One thing we have to point out is a lot of the people who are the bull, most bullish Bitcoin are the people who keep telling me the same thing I've heard for five years. I've been part of it. Institutions are coming. Institutions are coming. Institutions are coming. Great. I agree with that. It's coming. It's all coming. But we're still hearing the same thing. We've been just kind of get immune to it after a while. Yeah, I want to say really quick, Dave, that to your point, Mike, the price action this week was a result of a perfect storm, right? At the deadest bottom of sentiment already. And then we had the Binance and Coinbase news. And then somehow four days later, it's BlackRock ETF. And, you know, the, so I'm not surprised that we traded back to the highs here. I now want to see what's going to happen as we wait months and months and months for anything to happen on any of these ETFs, right? I think we got the pump based on the fact that it could happen. So now it's almost priced in that it will. And we need to see more, in my opinion. Uh, James, I see you kind of nodding over there. Yeah, James. no, it's, it, I agree. And I think Mike is right. We have not decoupled fully from the risk on asset uh, narrative for, like Dave is saying, the narrative for Bitcoin. It's reality, you know? That's why, and that's exactly why I launched this fund is I think there's going to be a ton of opportunities still. There, like, there, there's going to be another wipeout here, in my opinion. Do we hit the lows? I, I, I think we've already, I honestly, I do I believe we've already touched the lows. I don't think we go back there, but there will be volatility. And like Mike said, like we're, we're going to see a drawdown in the markets. Bitcoin, I would be shocked if it does not lead that, uh, lead that way down again. Um, whether or not we have a V recovery, that's up to the Fed uh, and how bad it is. It's, it's whether we have a credit event or whether we just slide into a recession, right? If we have a credit event, the Fed's going to step in quickly because it has to make sure that the, the treasury market remains liquid. But if it's just the, your, your plain vanilla hard recession, it's, it's going to drag down and that's reality. But the good news is that BlackRock and Fidelity and all these huge firms cannot deny it. And they are realizing this is going to be a place that people want to store their money. And so uh, we're, we're waiting for that and we've got to survive the storm. And, and uh, so I'm careful. I'm just, I'm just being careful here, you know? I mean, I still agree with any of that. Uh, I, I don't disagree with any of that. I mean, look, at the end of the day, trading on the margin is driven by the risk asset speculators in the Bitcoin space, period, full stop. And that is exactly why we've seen 
everything that Mike has described. And that is exactly why James is saying it. I, however, believe long-term as a contrarian is kind of important. I think most of the people in the Bitcoin space believe what James does. Now, when most of the people in the Bitcoin space believe what James does, which is we're going to see when the economy comes down, we won't delink. Bitcoin will lead the way down. We'll get better entry prices. We got to do that. That's cash on the sidelines. The sad, sad reality, not sad reality, the actual reality is Bitcoin is tiny. I mean, really small compared to, uh, you know, compared to the kinds of money flows. That we're yeah. The bond market. The, I mean, even the gold market. I mean, it, 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 it's tiny. It, it, and, and, and there will be an adjustment period as it moves on. I'm talking about a narrative space. Narrative space takes a long time. I mean, this is not trading advice, but any stretch of the imagination. I just want people to understand that if you literally are saving for five or 10 years from now, it's basically the entry points around here, you, you, you don't want to get too cute if that's what you believe. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And, yeah. And, and I'm constantly telling people never to buy Bitcoin on leverage. And one story we have to talk about, Scott, <laughs> is the absolute insanity uh, of the SEC approving a leveraged Bitcoin ETF or pr approving a spot ETF. It is but it on is insanity, but it makes sense with their narrative because if futures are okay and spot is not, they can go uh, approve a thousand stupid futures-based products. But yeah, right. go ahead. No. But it, there's no yes that that's true. But that's like when your kids say, "But you let me have ice cream later. Why can't I have ice cream for dinner?" And then <laughs> you know, by by your child's logic and kids, and you know, that's exactly how they think. Well, I mean. You know, yeah, so so for for the, yeah for the listeners though is that you, you've got a the the futures is a regulated market so it's easy for them to to approve those. It's also for the for Bitcoin itself though it's difficult and it's not a it's not a positive uh, development because it's all cash settled and so everybody so the the problem here is that there's no underlying asset that has to that has to be bought to uh, to you know, show the, un the inherent value. But, you know, what, what Mike and Dave are saying, and we keep hearing, you know, these long-term investors say it's the fastest horse, it's the fastest horse. Um, and they agree with that. But I, I, I kind of think it's, it's just the strongest horse. And the problem is we don't know how long the race is. And so you want to be on the strongest horse because it's going to take a long time for this to play out. And just like Dave said, zoom out, you look at your squiggles and it, you know, it, in in a in a an appreciating asset, volatility is okay. It's good actually in a long term appreciating asset. Volatility is good. Just you've just, but you just got to be careful not to play with leverage and not to, yeah. So it uh, agreed, but I, not to play with approved leverage ETFs. <laughs> I, but I got to follow up on that. The strongest horse in the race. I completely agree. It's going to be. It probably is now. It's early days. Minor adoption. Let's prove it. Let's get it through a first decent recession. Now you guys have done that where you've traded bear markets where the equity market goes down and stays down and actually the Fed saves you. They try to save you and eventually comes back, right? That's not, that's changed. That's what I think we're going to come through. Now, I, obviously I'm focused on the macro here is we have to get through that period. I think the Fed says it too. They know they want to cut that umbilical cord. Well, all that matters is that every time the stock market goes down, we cut rates, everybody's happy. It's got to get through that period. That's what I think we're going to be seeing in six months, the next 12 months. Bitcoin's going to do that. But one thing I want to point out too is for these all these products, I, I just remember in the trading pits, we used to call them CGs, commission genera generators. What's BitTo? Bit BitTo is a tremendous commission generator, but it also did one key thing that we fully expected. It, 
it it harnessed that cash and carry trade that brought Bitcoin into the, the mainstream. And now it's what's volatility doing in Bitcoin? I just know people hedge funds have been going and buying like um, grayscale, sign some of the futures, and saying thank you. That's <laughs> just what it's happening. So to me, it's getting there. It's a tool. But, but, yeah, it's a, it's tool. a tool. But that's why I want to see it. Is I you know I, I here's my outlook. I think we're far from a low in the stock market. List like I said in the in the in the commodity market a year ago. We are far from alone in the commodity market. A key question I ask people is, what stops this bear market? Now, this is a bear market in commodities. It's a bull market in the stock market. That's very rare unless we have a big deflation environment. The Fed's easy and everything's fine. They're not doing that. So to me, everything's going to tilt over that way. And then the question is, what stops it? So I think we're going to be at a point where in the near future, maybe it's 12 months, maybe it's six months. We're going to, st- the whole consensus that the worst is over and the stock market's going to get a good reality check that you too have traded in your lifetimes. Or, yes, there's periods where stock markets make highs and they don't make that a high again for another 15 years. NASDAQ 2000, I um, mean, this is, and SP 500. And then, of course, these things are, it's this, I've just gone back and keep check, test, t- testing my, my uh, measure uh, my history of cycles this cycle right now the worst i've ever seen for a pump and liquidity and a dump and also the with the narrative and where i'm sure james is all over as a hedge fund guys okay what's my value risk um adjusted value to put on a position here now this nasdaq has completely told me we're going to break out we've already done it and we're going to it's different this time and the stock market is going to keep going higher despite the fed tightening it's already done it a lot of it so what's my value versus Maybe the pendulum just swings back towards the bear market. For me, that's what's going to start. Yes, I've been early. I've been late. I've been wrong. But there's a lot of indications. It just has to drive people crazy and then eventually go that way. Real quick, Dave, I just want to show, because you mentioned it, uh, that it is actually pretty meaningful what's happening in the market as a result of even the rumor of BlackRock getting an approval. I mean, BITO, BITO, we talked about here saw massive inflows, over a billion now assets under management again, which really hasn't happened since the futures ETFs were launched in the first place. Total assets under management in crypto investment products reached the yearly high, surpassing $37 billion and erasing the losses since 3O's capital shook the market in July 2022. And you can see this is the biggest, it is just the biggest inflow we've had this week. So the market is believing that something's going to get approved here, that something different is going to happen. Well, I, I don't know what will happen or not. I, I think, you know, Mike, I, I just want to go back to your thesis because I I, I kind of toss it off blithely, but you know, I rate the odds of, of at, at like 50-50 of a, I call it whatever you want, a 10 or 20% sharp downward move some point in the fall. Uh, it feel This feels a lot like uh, periods where we've had that, that August to October swoon, shall we say. My question to you, and really to you, James, is what do you think happens if uh, we get blood in the water and people start panicking and you see a 10 to 20% move down in the, the S&P with maybe the NASDAQ a little bit more than both, that on both? You think the Fed stands pat or you think that the wealth effect matters to them? Or you think they just kind of say, eh, whatever, as long as employment and everything else is okay, that's fine. I, I personally think the latter, but I'm curious what you think. I think that... Uh, as long as the treasury market is not impaired, impacted, uh, endangered, you know, liquidity there, they don't care about the stock market because the, the Fed is the Fed doesn't care what the treasury has to do as far as their their budget is concerned. And if it, if if uh, if it means that tax receipts are going to be lower, that's not the Fed's problem. 
I mean, it's literally not the Fed's problem. They're like, we have to get inflation down. After, our job is to get inflation down. The Treasury's job is to manage the amount of money that Congress is spending. That's up to them. That's not our issue. So, it. But the Fed's job is also to make sure that markets operate uh, properly, right? So there's no, they have to be liquid. And so the question is, Dave, do we draw down because of just their straight vanilla and tough recession that we're heading into? Or do we have another credit event? Does the, the does a, a bank, a big bank collapse that has counterparty risk that, you know, that induces in contagion that they have to contain? If they have to step in like they did with Silicon Valley, well, then it's a whole nother story. And we're seeing these backdoor, you know, injections of liquidity from the Fed to make sure that the market operates properly. And that's kind of propping everything up right now. So if something does happen, all bets are off. And then, so that, yeah. That, just following up on that, I think that's, this is, I mean, I, I've never seen a period where I've seen the Fed this adamant and seem this happy and this much battling the stock market. Every time the stock market goes up, the rate height expectations go higher, where they seem satisfied if the stock market goes up. I've never seen that. So sure, maybe if you get a quick crash, they might come to the save, come to the save, save us again. But I look at Fed fund futures right now, we're at about 90% that they're going to be up at uh, what is it? Three, Five point three percent by November, and then by next year they're going to drop a hundred base points. Now, what's going to take that for happening? Inflation going down? Yeah, who cares? If the stock market goes down, I look at it. I wrote about this recently. There's no reason for the Fed to do anything until the stock market makes them. That's the problem. Now, I just want to point out. I, we mentioned Bitto. I'll just turn a little bit. If you want to see a good island bottom chart and something that's Bitcoin related, GBTC. Just spend a little more time here. Now, there's a nice chart. And I also look at that as if this ETF happens, we know that premium, that the discount is still about 31%, pretty much is likely to, to go to zero. It's just a matter of time. So I look at risk reward. I can't make rec trade recommendations, but I can't trade either. I'm not allowed, which probably keeps me neutral. Is um, That to me, there's a bottom uh, formation um, to me. And that's also, it's got that, it could still ride out a 30% collapse. And I mean, still has that, that the premium that can help support that price right. about this soon that's what we're talking about right there yeah 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 i look at some of the smart money might be going in and like, okay now we knew it was wide at 50 now it's maybe is it still wide at 30 but there's a good solid reason for it to narrow particularly if you know blackrock helps yeah and remember who's like remember who's trading those futures right those those uh fed funds futures and uh, and who's they you know hedge funds use it as uh, a way to hedge themselves and uh, so that's it, it, it there is some noise in there for sure Mike um, we we both know that yeah. if you want to look at if you really want to get boil it down just to the essence of it just look at the spreads in the treasuries just look at the spreads of the two year and the ten year because that's 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 reality Inverted. you know. And that just tells us we, there is it is basically a hundred percent probability that we are going to hit a recession here, one hundred percent. And th that means these rates are coming down. Period. And the rates don't come down except for when the Fed feels they need to loosen the reins on the economy and uh, and and you know allow for more liquidity. That's it. That's the only reason. Look at that thing. I mean, again, is that sub sub minus one point oh two one percent? I think the lowest we've seen previously before to nineteen eighty nine, at least on a close, was 
so, or seven seven. Yeah, that's telling yes. you that the, that the bond market and the and you know we all know that the bond traders are the ones who the credit traders understand what yeah. the claims on assets are of this world, and if they're believing one hundred percent that we're that, that we have a, a you know we have a, a policy error on on the table right now. That's what that's telling me. Well, Mike, you've been saying that so, for, for a while now. Yeah, too long. But wrong and long and early, right? When you're well, you, get it, well, you can talk to me about how <laughs> you, you said that the, that the you know I think your quote was that history will not judge uh, this tightening cycle of the Fed very well. I mean, you, you, it's inevitable. It, it's just it's just what happens. It's inevitable. Unfortunately, I have to admit I did more reading again this week, and it starts it keeps solidifying my views. But it's just the basis of all measures of liquidity. But what I think that's so important to point out there, James, is I like the New York Fed. I think the Cleveland Fed does it too. They just assign a probability to that. And they say, okay, right now it's 70%. We'll get a recession in the next 12 months. And the last time they had a similar reading was 1982. And every time it's it just happens. So what's the hopium for the stock market? Yeah, sure. We're going to get a recession, but the Fed's going to save us. It'll be okay. They'll cut rates. Just like now. What's the hopium for Bitcoin? It's great. Okay, we're not going to go with this down in the stock market. And we're going to get these ETFs. It's all going to be okay. I like, there's just too many if statements there. I think that's just not worth it. Yeah, and there's uh, there's also noise in the market because of all the AI hype, right? So you have all these tech yeah. companies that have been just ripped the last number of months because of the AI hype, and and it, it's real in the long term. It's real, but today it's a bubble. It's, it's, it's fine. It's, it's a bubble. We all right there, by the way, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 the funny part about yeah, I mean, there's clearly that's true. I mean, if you look at at sectors that are disliked. You know, versus you know, it, this has not been a uniform rally in the stock market. I mean, this has been a very focused rally on technology, AI, and things that people think are are resistant to uh, you know to macro, which I find amusing because at the end of the day, they're the ones that will actually lead on the downside when when you know when, when there is a correction. But that's that's neither here nor there. But I think that that's where Mike and I agree. My, my my point that I keep making on Bitcoin is it was born out of a financial crisis for a reason. If we do end up, the longer we go before a recession starts, the more sharp it's likely to be. And of course, the closer we get to election season. I mean, if there if a recession happens this fall, that's sort of on target, and you know the Fed can allow it to play out, and then voters won't be caring about it as long as it's dissipating by next spring. But I don't think a recession that starts next spring and starts to get whatever will be treated with as political uh, hands off. I think that isn't the world in recession just not officially here. I love how we talk. I mean, we talk about this all the time. I mean, if a recession comes, like here, well, it's it's what what are central banks doing? Which is not, it, it's it's obviously it's a big lag. We know that we but we've had a historic event and no one's there's no measure in history near. I mean, you can go back to the. Um, you know, nineteen nineteen um, great um, plague, into, um, but it's it's never happened before. The key point is, what are central banks doing? I look at it simplistically. It's not be com- what's not um, what's not sit- what's not complicate this. Bank of England surprise hike more than Bank of Canada surprise hike. Federal Reserve hike the most ever um, from zero ever. And you look at a lot of faces. and head. So it, it's just simple. You're supposed to just say, okay, what's my two year note? Four seventy five. Thank you. See you in two years. I mean, yeah. that's, what you, that's what I look at it. Why exactly. complicate it? Yeah. Every, I just wrote about this this past weekend uh, in, in my newsletter. The, 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 out of the G7 treasury yields, every single one is inverted except for which one? Japan. 
right? No surprise, surprise. Okay. And they're and they're manipulating their 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 central bank is manipulating their their rates. I mean, horrifically, right? So, but every single one of them is is seriously inverted on the two and ten. It's just reality. And the only one that it, that actually has a bump that goes back up is Italy, and that's because people are worried about them defaulting, so they demand a higher yield for the ten year. It's just, yeah. So we're the 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 developed world is heading into a recession. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really quick, so I have to talk about it because I talked about it in the intro. We're talking about ETFs. HSBC rolls out cryptocurrency services in Hong Kong, basically making three ETFs. Bitcoin and Ethereum based available to all their customers is HSBC, the same one that made headlines. HSBC and Nationwide blocked transactions with crypto exchanges just three months ago. So is this symptomatic of the United States shutting down in Hong Kong and potentially China seeing an opportunity? Or is this yet again, yeah, we're going to shut down everything that has to do with the crypto incumbents and move it to the trusted, trusted Wall Street uh, institutions, because I, listen, I mean, we see Binance and Crypt and Coinbase getting attacked. Well, BlackRock's fine, <laughs> right? People are excited about that. So it seems like it's the same thing. HSBC is not going to let you transact with these native crypto exchanges, but they'll open the doors to institutional ETFs. I think that that you have to decide decide what they what politicians can accomplish versus what they want to. And it's also, what do they not want to accomplish? The thing they don't want to do, the ones who are against crypto, is allow it to become a big negative politically. That is the single thing they are most concerned about. What do they want to accomplish? They want their friends to have power. But the question is, can they? And it really is a fascinating conversation. If you think about it, it's, we, you know, we don't have anywhere near the time to talk about that. But the absolute reality is that there's no doubt that the anti-crypto army's sole focus is to, uh, for the, and it's not, and I, and I, and I say that blithely because I, I, I think that was one of the big mistakes actually calling herself that, but what they, what she really wants is, is a, a reinforcement of the banking cartel. And James, you've been dealing with this a lot, what's going on with the regional banks. I mean, do, you know, do you think that concentration in the banking sector is going to be higher or lower? uh five years from now and more importantly do you think that the concentration it, you know that that what what people want i mean it's clear this administration wants banking concentration dramatically higher yeah and so you know and they're 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 allowing it they're facilitating it it's clear i mean jerry morgan jp morgan city city group and uh and wells fargo took in uh what the hundreds of billions trillions of assets basically right. <laughs> i mean because of the the banking crisis, they allowed it. I, I think it's tail wagging the dog here. I mean, I, I think the bottom line is: is it, it, do we do we want a cartel cartelization of the banking system? Yes or no? And I think the political lines are very well drawn on that. Uh, it is a partisan issue, although there are lots of Democrats who are made unbelievably uneasy by that, and so I think that matters. Right. And so when you start talking about, you know, things like choke point and what's been going on, I mean, yeah, you know, they see crypto as one threat to the cartel, but we have a regional banking system that, you know, to not, not, not to agree with, with, with Mr. McBloom over there. But the fact is we have a regional <laughs> banking system with, you know, the, the, with holes in it. I mean, commercial real estate is a, a long-term disaster. 
you know, I've talked to a couple, I was at a, a, a spoke at an event in Miami with a bunch of real estate agents called Theopsy. Um, you know, the president was nice enough to invite me to speak. And the, the only thing people talk about with commercial real estate is the hope that in their eyes is that, that, that local authorities in New York and other places will allow them convert commercial real estate to residential. Right. Which, is Which takes time, and you, and you 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 know what we saw it in Dallas, right? So downtown Dallas wanted to convert a lot of those uh, old business, the old commercial real estate buildings, the the high rises into residences, but there were no grocery stores, there were no theaters, there were no there were no supermarkets or or you know uh, restaurants down there that uh, that stayed open on the weekends. It just wasn't a place to live, so they had to. They had to build all that around it first. And so it, it takes a long time, even if they do get it through. Right. In addition to the plumbing, I mean, typical <laughs> residential, right, need, right. it's a major, it's just hard to yeah. put in all those pipes and everything and balconies. And it is not designed, the building's not designed for residential. It's yeah. like I, you always, so that's one thing you notice when you go to a building um, that's not residential, always notice the bathrooms are always on top of each other. Why? Because you only run the pl- the, plum- the plumbing up one area, but in a residential area, they're everywhere. It's just yeah. a big. De- that's that. That's a lot of pipe and a lot of things you got to tear up. But the point the point that I was making is, I don't think that any conversion like that is anything close to it time enough to save perform to allow the loans to be performing. Which means you know, all that the rents to be as high as they are now for those new buildings or higher, and there'll be nobody willing to pay it by the time they come online. So. Well, but that's the problem. So, so the issue is there's this gaping hole in the balance sheet of the regional banking system <laughs> as we enter into a recession, which is never great for the banking system anyway. And that's why it's it's fascinating to me. And when I when I listen to James talk, and and I and by the way, James's newsletter is amazing. Oh. I'll plug it if they won't. Uh, and it, you know, when I read it and I'm thinking about it, it's like, well, yes, I agree with your analysis. That only comes in as a credit event, but I'm try I'm struggling to understand how we could have a sharp onset recession without triggering the credit. That that's what my brain is struggling with. How we could have one without a credit event? Yeah. Well, I mean, we've seen it happen where you you just have this influx of of uh layoffs you know the credit tightens enough that uh that it did the access to capital i mean mike you've been studying this for so long right so access to capital goes down it costs so much more per for everything that company is doing it costs them more that they have to then they have to they have to cut costs and that's typically people the people are your highest expense you know your employees so they start cutting they start laying off employees and it just slides down, right? So that could happen. I still believe, like you, Dave, I believe that that's a kind of a pipe dream that we just kind of slide into a nice recession here and touch off and go back up again. That's I just don't see that happen, you know? We have there's there's like a you're the 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 commercial real estate, there's one point four trillion dollars of loans are coming due for for these uh, these landlords, you know, I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna remortgage these properties. They're gonna walk away from them. It's yeah. just easier. And in San Francisco, start already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, some just literally walk away. I mean, it makes a lot more sense to just walk away than to even deal with it. Which is what what then happens? So then you hand you hand the keys to the bank. The bank owns a, an impaired asset. Then the Fed has to come in and and help them or. 
if it's not if it's not an important bank, you know, if it's not a obviously the GSIBs are not going to be affected by this, but the regional banks hold a lot of this paper and they will be affected by it. So that the question is, how big is that next bank to fail? That's that's really the big question. So that's right? the key key thing too, I think, about the tide. When what happened when Bear Stearns went under and then Lehman, the tide went out, we saw it was wearing clothes. To me, that's the problem right now. It's great. The tide's nice and high, it's great. But and you mentioned commercial history. I just look at things like even residential, everything's great. And we all see how our home builders are doing well lately. But if you think that really struck me, if you look at new homes, new U.S. homes owned under construction, it's the highest ever in this country. And it's bumps up recently. You go back to 1970 on this database, it's never been higher. And then sales are collapsing. Yield or interest rates are going up. This is a complete recipe for a severe recession. It's just the way it always works. And that's residential. It just hasn't started yet. It just back in the thing, the peak, the peak I'm looking at right now is 1973. I remember that one. <laughs> Sorry, I was young, but it was right. We had a pretty good crisis there with um, OPEC and stuff. And then the next, the recent, the most recent peak, 2006. A lot of those, that rings a bell for a lot of us. Now it's the highest ever. And yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have that you're gonna have that pricing reset finally when rates start to come down. You'll finally have that reset when people are willing to sell their houses, right? And then then the prices will yeah, right. right. So what does that take? So 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 rates are high, people are not willing to sell house, houses. So so the market freezes up, right? And only new homes are really okay. You can build your own, you can do construction, you can rehab, and then of course, um, but we all know since when is a freeze up market bullish? And the bottom line is what's Park this. Never forget from where you're from in markets. It's the biggest pump of liquidity ever that's dumping at the fastest pace ever. Yeah. Yeah. That, is that not, go ahead, James, please. No, that's a guy, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. I was looking, I was looking in the comments. Drusified over here said, look at these stats I found and I'm waiting for them. But uh, basically, the just being 80% of commercial real estate is held by small and regional banks. Right. Yeah, and that and that's the problem is that so okay so what's happening? You've got the REITs, you get these huge REITs, and here's the crazy part. Oh, that's that's a good stat right there. Here's yeah. the crazy part: you have these massive REITs, Blackstone, right? So in one in one area, they're sh they're they they have massive redemptions, and they're saying, okay, we have to walk away from this real estate out in San Francisco or whatever. Uh, they're they're walking away from global real estate. They just they're just walking away. They say, well, we can't pay the we can't pay the note, so we're walking away from it. On the other hand, they're raising a new fund over here. Right. So they're just getting ready to swoop in and buy the impaired assets that they walked away from. It's nuts. And they're allowed to do it. It's th this is this is because they're this is where the uh, the non recourse mortgage loan becomes problematic for the regional banks. And they hold a lot of this paper. Yeah. And quit to, and to it, the point. It, said, it, it fits with 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 this that that's the issue is if there is a massive contagion in the regional banking industry how much how much can can how you know how can we go from 5000 to 1000 <laughs> we go from 5000 to 500 i mean you know what happens i mean at what point does the fed say okay well, enough is enough and then what what does do markets do about that and does the bifurcation that we've been seeing you know go more and more and more i mean it, it's it's a very interesting point. Obviously, when this all starts, it's going to be horrendous, and every asset's going to go. I mean, it has to, right? You know, people don't fly to quality immediately. People don't adjust it, and every single in 2008, gold went down for three months before it it took off again, right? You know, eventually, making all time highs. It, it dropped 30. percent You're right. For a thousand to seven hundred, then if it got, you got to get the pain. Unfortunately, no doubt. 
there's no doubt correlations go to one that's my last comment when when, when you see this sort of thing i i find it hard to believe it will avoid this sort of thing no feds will save us the fed will save us trust no problem yeah <laughs> the fed uh, yeah we'll see we'll see if the fed comes to the rescue i can't believe it's 10 o'clock all right james awesome having you i can see in the comments have james every week have james every week guys we're not waking james up at 5 45 in the morning to join us every week but whenever he uh Whenever he does want to do that, he's a welcome. If you're listening, by the way, I never say this, but if you're not subscribed, just subscribe. We do this every Monday. You know, yeah, we're, 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 we're always here, and it's nice to see that we have some uh, new blood. I think at least Dave and James, you guys are joining Twitter Spaces in a bit, guys. Until, uh, again, I had a podcast with Warren Davidson that came out yesterday, but he's going to be on Twitter Spaces once again. This guy is really, uh, really serious about helping this industry, but also really serious about <laughs> getting rid of Kenny Gensler. Or really serious. Uh, I can tell you in, in private public chats. I don't know if it'll be successful, but he's certainly going to try. Uh, guys, thank you once again to all three of you. I'll be back, of course, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., but see everybody hopefully on uh, on Twitter Spaces. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. That's dope.